Welcome to After Hours with me, Rick Kogan, on this beautiful day. Uh, just in talking with Bill Harrison, who's my guest for this entire hour, uh, when he arrived here about 10 minutes ago, we have about 800 mutual friends. <laughs> Among them is the reason that Bill is on here. This book, his book, uh, Making the Low Notes, A Life in Music, was recommended to me by my old friend, Neil Tesser. I will read some portions of what Bill wrote, but I want to read what Neil said first. The first I first met Bill Harrison nearly 50 years ago when invited to hear the college quartet he writes about in the early chapters, and I got to see him play bass on stage often after that. But I never really heard him until reading this account of his honest, intimate, often witty, and always insightful journey. I'm going to stop there because I feel the same way neil did this is quite a book uh bill congratulations thank you you, rick Uh, was it difficult to write it i always find it incredibly difficult to write about myself it was it really was yeah um i started it before the pandemic about 2018 um just started kind of free writing yeah just writing whatever uh and then starting around 2020 when we weren't leaving our homes yeah right uh that's kind of what i did to keep me sane and it was it was difficult i had a lot of help i took some classes i had some great editors some writing classes yeah yeah Yeah. i mean i had taken some previously i've been writing my whole life yeah but the idea of actually writing a a book uh, was pretty daunting but i thought okay pandemic good time it is a good time one of the things about this book is you people out there may be thinking well my god this guy's played for broadway shows for every club in the city what a glorious wonderful glamorous life (laughs) it is to be a working (laughs) jobbing musician in chicago uh in a word no (laughs) yeah yeah it's very very glamorous you also write in here, you say, I've written a written record of every gig, rehearsal, social occasion, lessons taken and given, trip, visit from family, moving date, and almost every other notable event that occurred between 1974 and, 19, and 2010. Why Why did you do that? Bill? I have no idea. And it certainly would come in handy for a book. It did, and I never thought I would be writing a book. I just, I've been schlepping around a box with these calendars you know since high school and uh, it just became kind of a thing and i don't know how weird it is you know i don't know but it certainly no but it, it certainly must have come in handy because it oh, would yeah. also it would also evoke more vividly than just memory could the memories of these places and these people yeah. and these things you are so one of the interesting things in the book which is incredibly interesting is he, you go back into your childhood here, and I find it really uh, incredibly honest and uh, not shy. That stuff, I'm, I'm wondering how difficult that stuff was to write. Well, the early years. Yeah, I mean, well, I think uh, anybody who's going to write, you know, memoir, uh, you, you kind of have to face the scary stuff. Um, otherwise, it, it, you said it, it came off as very honest, and it, that I, it is. That that's part of the reason why I think, you know, good memoirs and great memoirs um, the, and are let, very vulnerable. Let me stop you and say this is, ladies and gentlemen, a great memoir for those of you listening who live here. It is, it is closely tied to Chicago, but it's it goes way 
way beyond that. Here is uh, Bill Harrison writing about his instrument. The bass might have a feminine shape, but the heft and sound suggest the masculine to me. I suppose it's possible the instrument's complex allusions to sexuality played a role in my choosing it over the brass instruments. But if so, that aspect was buried deep in my subconscious. <laughs> uh, tell Melissa, how did you come to music? Uh, uh, well, I so I was in the Cub Scouts. Who was it? Uh, yeah. Uh, and when I was, uh, I think, about 10, uh, my one of my pals, uh, am I allowed to say names on the air? I guess sure. I can. A friend of mine uh, at the time named Harris Ruderman. Mm-hmm. That's an uh, interesting name. Yeah. I like that name. Yeah. Uh, brought his accordion into a, to a, you know, a, 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 a den meeting <laughs> one time and played some tunes. And I, everybody was like, oh, well, this guy, wow, it's amazing. And I thought, oh, I, I want to do that too. So I, you know, basically groveled to my parents for, I don't did know, they have a year any, or so. Did they have any musical background? Uh, a little bit. Um, my dad was an amateur trumpet player when he was in high school. Huh. And then my mother, you know, she played some viola, I think she told me, in, in junior high for a minute. But they weren't, you know, they both liked music, but it wasn't like we were but surrounded they, by it or they anything. They came through for you and, and bought you? Uh, oh, yeah, they did. They did, yeah. They bought me a beautiful a beautiful accordion, and I did study for a while. And, um, you know, it, it was a little bit of a... Uh, I don't know. A little bit embarrassing because at, the, at <laughs> well, that time, bad accordion must be embarrassing. Well, it's just you know it was the '60s and the accordion was not cool. A uh, true, right? True. You so know who, you know who else started playing the accordion before he became a big rock star was Dennis DeYoung. Oh, of Sticks. Okay, isn't that something? It's good to have. That's the one thing I have in common. Other than <laughs> yeah, when they both have two feet. Other than the uh, the residual yeah. chucks that come every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll take a little break and come back, and we're going to take Bill through his childhood. Through his, uh, there's a moving part. A moving part in here where you you you. You're sort of embarrassed when you play, and you then walk off, and you hear applause for the first time. It's very moving to me, at least. So please stay tuned. We'll be back with uh, Bill Harrison talking about his fabulous book, Making the Low Notes. And we'll get into some Chicago venues, too. My new friend, Bill Harrison, thanks to Neil Tesser and another mutual friend we have in Bruce Dold. We'll talk about Bruce, Bruce. Uh, in a moment. The the failed disc jockey is what i call him former <laughs> editor editor publisher of the chicago tribune well then we both are failed disc yeah, stop jockeys, I stop 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 uh bill's gonna read i always think it's great to have authors read their own work this is a few paragraphs at the beginning of his uh wonderful book making the low nuts bill take it away so this is from july 24th 1968 and of course i know that because it's in my you, it's, it's in, in your, my calendar yeah the things yeah. you carry around yeah I'm rocking from foot to foot in the wings of my middle school auditorium stage, clutching a double bass with both arms. Kids shuffle on and off stage, toting trumpets, trombones, clarinets, and flutes. So many flutes. (laughs) When it's my turn, I death grip the oversized fiddle and waddle into the spotlight. My right hand is all slip and slide, 
as I struggled to settle the bow on the string. I grab the neck of this beast with my left and plunge headlong into my rendition of Yankee Doodle. It sounds like a nanny goat with an upset stomach. Then it's all over. Shocking applause erupts as I stumble off stage in a sweat-drenched daze. I am never, ever doing this again. And yet, as I retreat to the bosom of backstage, a wave of pleasure pulses through my body. Those moms and dads were applauding for me. Was that jolt of approval worth the jazzed-up breath, the jittery hands, the jumping bean heart? This is the intractable dilemma I would grapple with for the next four decades. That's a great piece of writing. That is a great piece of writing. <laughs> Thank you. You were, I must say, uh, relatively insecure for much of for much of your uh, for much of your career. You wound up coming to Northwestern, which you really did not like. Why? Why come to Northwestern? I came to Northwestern to study film which was my other passion at the time, mm-hmm. and radio, too. Uh, and mostly because I wanted to get away from my family, which was on the East Coast, if I'm being totally honest. Well, that 900-mile cushion was yeah. just about far right. enough. You're like many kids oh, in yeah. that era. Yeah, for kidding? sure, for sure. And uh, Northwestern, you know, I had already made some films when I was in high school, the days of Super 8. Sure. Um and I thought, oh, I'll go to Northwestern, I'll be a film major, I'll be able to get my hands on some cool 16-millimeter sound equipment, blah, blah, blah. But it turned out that, at least at the time, uh, you couldn't touch anything until you were a junior. Yeah, they had... The first two years were all, like, history and theory and all that sort of stuff, and... Uh, Here, watch this it wasn't, movie. It wasn't, it wasn't my thing. You know, I really wanted to just get out there and do it how when you were at northwestern i know you you dropped out of my memory serves yes. and i just read the book as a junior right Before uh, I, was, junior. I was right in in uh in my beginning of my sophomore year yeah yeah uh was music part of your life when you were here it, initially at northwest did you come here with your bass i did bring a bass yes because i was playing in high school it wasn't i mean i i loved it but i i was i was sort of caught between like Liking music and thinking that it would not be a good career move to play music for a living. Were you, so, inse- were you insecure about your level of playing? Yes, yeah. I was. Yeah. Uh, also, my, the teacher that I had in high school was lukewarm. Right, right. <laughs> when, when I asked Lacked him, the enthusiasm of the yeah, audience. He was like, played yeah, more, you yeah. should go for it. No, he was like, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of good bass players out there. So, uh, yeah, so I did, the, the, the thing I loved about being at Northwestern was getting to work at WNUR, which was, uh, that at the time, uh, they had a lot of jazz programming every night, mm. and so I had a, a, a jazz show. I think I, I think I had two shifts a week. Uh, at least some of the time. Now you knew this is when you knew Bruce Dole because Bruce, Bruce was right. a, a he fellow was. fellow disc jockey. He was. How good he, was he? Because I've he, never, I've never. There are no recording. There's nothing right, left. No air checks. No archives. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was really good. He, you know, he was very, um, a very erudite. Yes, he is. D- Still is. DJ, <laughs> as you might imagine. Yes. So, uh, um, you know, and uh, he actually was the pr- uh, program director of. 
or the head of the department, jazz department. Wow. Wow. Uh, at that time, I didn't know that. I've known yeah. Bruce for a long time. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know that it's. I don't know if he leads with that when, he never when you leads. first meet him. You know? would, no, no, not when you first meet here's, him. He here's my history. Well, yes. I was a prick. You like jazz? Uh, did you like doing the radio show? Did Did I? Yeah. Yes, I loved it. It was It was uh, It was a great kick, and I got to learn a lot about uh, about music because they had a pretty decent record collection there a lot of stuff i didn't have what was the nature of your show could you play anything you wanted whatever anything wow. i wanted yeah. wow yeah it was a totally free format yeah now you were in love at the time with uh, i'm just going to use their last names evans davis and coltrane yeah were, were three of your huge yes influences yes and did you play at all while you were here uh play bass yeah oh yes i did I where did. um well, uh, I met a bunch of musicians going at a jam session at one of the frats uh, at Northwestern. Right, right. You read about that. Yeah, Pi Kappa Alpha. And uh, I just thought I was going to a jam session with this guy who turned out to be a good, a good friend. Um, and I just met a bunch of people, and I was like, oh, this is exciting. And I actually got into a band with three of them. And that was one of the reasons I dropped out, the, you know, a year later because I met these guys and it was inspirational. And I thought, you know what, I, I'm I'm digging this a lot more than film school. And you so, started playing around, did you not? I mean, yeah, playing at different venues constantly. Yeah. Well, you write in here. <coughs> A part of me knew I was as green as moldy mozzarella. <laughs> My increasingly busy schedule gave me the unwarranted impression that I was on a surefire path to a successful career as a professional musician. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't really quite a, a surefire. It path. didn't quite work out quite that way. Yeah, <laughs> but you did. I, I guess. I guess the. You know what? I guess going back to that initial thing that hooked you on music is. Playing anywhere and getting a response from the crowd is really like a narcotic. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And it, it can convince you of abilities above what you may actually possess, right? <laughs> what, what are you saying, Rick? Well, I'm just saying, I don't know. I didn't hear you then. I wasn't here then. Uh, but you uh, did. Funny. You finally find Mr. B came into your life. Mr. B. Uh, Warren Benfield, who uh, for a long time I uh, was a member of the Chicago Symphony, and he was a, just a great guy. I'd longed to study with him since my days at Northwestern, and I finally caught up with him when I went back to school at DePaul. At and DePaul. Yeah, I wound up getting my music degree there. A lot of good that's done me. Well, but. stop. You, you became a te- <laughs> you, you're a very influential teacher, too, let me, let me say that. But you say about Mr. B., is that he planted the seed of real confidence that slowly, painfully supplanted the bogus self-importance I'd often used as a shield to hide my incompetence. That's a that's a very intense and personal and uh, self-aware reflection. Yeah. To, to write that sentence, uh, was it difficult? Hmm. Because you don't, you, literally, you don't have to write this, and you could have said, and you do say some wonderful things about uh, about Mr. Benfield. Yeah, I mean, again, one of the things I, I think I learned by reading a lot of memoir and, and studying with some good people was uh, the reader wants to be able to trust you. Yep. Good and point. if you are not vulnerable with 
you know, the things that are, you know, that probably most of us would prefer to keep hidden. Yep. Uh, then they're not going to trust you. It can't all be, you know, uh, unicorns and balloons, or whatever lollipops or whatever, whatever that is. You know, you gotta, you gotta show some of who you really are, and that the way that I covered my lack of experience and incompetence was with a kind of a stupid bravado, you yeah. know, thinking I knew better. In your collection of, uh, in your, like, ongoing diary that you were keeping at the time, was it yeah. also a journal, like a journal? Were you making any notes about, n- no, it was just no. time and place and uh, people around. Yeah, well, time, place, uh, what do I wear, how much the gig paid. Mm. You did a lot of work as a, uh, one of the unknown quality and i've known a lot of uh, many jazz musicians uh the concept of jobbing i think escapes most people in an audience they they see a person on stage playing the bass or playing the drums or playing this and they think wow he's a professional he or she is a professional musician what a great life that might be yeah, well, uh, you poke some holes. You poke yeah, some holes. You poke certain, some holes in that impression. There are certain aspects of it that are pretty great. Yeah, but yeah, jobbing. Uh, so that's the kind of work that many musicians uh, do as freelancers, and it's essentially playing private parties and weddings and corporate gigs and this and that. Is it? Is it satisfying? It must be satisfying on some level. In that it's maybe making you fifty bucks or something, and there's also people applauding. Uh, but it's it's not the kind of aspirational kind of thing that a musician wants to experience. Yeah, on the on the one hand, it can be remunerative, mm-hmm. um, and also there's a kind of a almost like a subversive quality to it. Uh, where you know you're playing uh, Louie Louie or something and thinking, oh, uh, why did I learn to yeah, play giant steps? Yeah, this is what steps? I grew up to do. Yeah, as Bill writes in the book. Uh, before we take a break, he writes the final. Es- I'm just trying to read some of this to give you a sense of what a good writer he is. The final essential quality for competence as a sideman is understanding and accepting your role in the jobbing juggernaut. <laughs> you're never the star of the show we will when we come back after the news we will we will visit with uh, a little more with bill the name of the book again is making the low notes and we'll visit some places in chicago including the playboy club and orphans which is gone and uh, the pump room where you played so please stay tuned I will tell you that Making the Low Notes, A Life in Music by Bill Harrison is almost to you people, if you've ever been to a jazz club in Chicago, uh, you need to have this book. It is a a wonderfully honest, incisive, self-aware book. And it's so honest that Bill puts a picture in here from December 13th, 1983, when at one of those jobbing gigs we were talking about, you dressed as a, or you were asked to dress or made to dress as a conehead. Yes. That was that proud was, moment. What? Proud moment for you, right? Uh, proud moment. I had to call my mom when I got home from that one. <laughs> say, look, mom, look at this picture. Uh, 1981 to 2002, uh, that is under the title of the Jazz Man chapter. And these are very easily digestible chapters. They're, they're very short takes, but, but 
but deep. He writes, the second pillar of my musical life after jobbing was the one I cared most about, playing jazz. I didn't go to New York, but over a two-decade period, I did get the opportunity to perform with some heavy cats, including Kirk Terry, James Moody, Bunky Green, Max Roach, Dizzy Gillespie, and, in a manner of speaking, Ray Charles. You also played some amazing, I think of as amazing venues. I think of the Gold Star as an amazing place. And I'm I'm just saying all this as a patron having a drink and a cigarette in the good old days at the uh, at the uh, at the uh, various places. Gold Stars. Uh, I actually met Tony Bennett there. Yeah, you remember he played there. He did. Bill Allen, yeah. the owner of, of the Gold Stars Ardeen Bar, was incredible. You'd have everybody, anybody, and anybody there. Yes. Uh, you played Orphans. I, mean, I don't remember Orphans even doing jazz. Yeah, uh, for a couple of years there, um, they did have jazz a few different nights, but Monday nights uh, was when Joe Daly, great saxophone player, was there, and I was in his band for about a year and a half. Mm. And uh, actually, I have a chapter about him. You went to Daly School of Jazz, right? I did go to the Daly School of Jazz. He was was quite a character, but really a a great mentor for me. And you learned from him. Oh, tremendous amount. Yeah. You learn from many of your. That's a good, cool thing about you. You learn from many of your teachers, and I think, in part, that that infused you as a teacher. That this was a mentor-student relationship, no matter what the quality of the student. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It, yeah, it infused me, and sometimes confused me. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, I understand that. You played uh, the Playboy Club. I, I and you played on a TV series. It was. I don't even remember. I was a TV critic. I don't even remember this. It thing. was only on for about twelve seconds. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They they shot. I think it was seven episodes and only aired four before NBC yanked it off the air. They were getting all kinds of complaints, and it was a very uh, it was a very polite show. I mm-hmm. mean, there wasn't anything risque about it at yeah. all. Right. Uh, so, but it, the ratings were terrible, and you know well, that'll do it. Yeah, that'll, talk to me. You did a lot, a lot, and I loved reading about it. A lot of theater work. Yes. I mean, the first was, was the first theater gig for you at Candlelight. It was. Yeah, it's a pretty good memory for a guy who read your book yesterday. <laughs> uh, I'm impressed. Yeah, so am I. So am I. Uh, what was that? Theater was weird. I think theater was was alternately enjoyable for you but also you, you say with some of the pits where the performers were the pits the pits were the, were pit. the pits yeah. yeah i mean these desolate kind of dark and uh, uh if you had claustrophobia you should yeah. get in don't, another don't, business don't do that yeah and that's something too where people think i think wow there's a wonderful glamour to this he's playing in the theater right. how did you enjoy in general your theater work there was a lot of good about it. Yeah. Um, Which was what? Well. Beyond getting paid. Yeah. Beyond getting paid. Uh, well, uh, some of the shows were were very fun to play. Um, uh, Wicked was especially fun. Lion King was really fun. Um, some of the others, uh, short, short run things were fun. Um, uh, the camaraderie, always. Yeah, I'm sure. Camaraderie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The fact that, uh, you know, for for a freelance musician, you're schlepping your gear all over 
and many places, as you write in the book, many places, not just theaters, make it very difficult That's, to load in and right, load out. Right, uh, right. That it's really it's heavy lifting. That's the that's the hard part of the job a lot of the time. It's just getting in and out of the venue. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So at, at the theater, you basically you walk in, everything's there. You you know you've played last night, everything's there. You don't take anything home. It's just you know. So that is very pleasant. Uh, and, you know, I think more than anything, in addition to the, the the shows that were fun to play and challenging mm-hmm. uh, was just the hang, you know, just being with really great colleagues, um, you know, all the all the moments of uh, being able to, you know, enjoy the inside jokes and, you know, just like any other, I think, uh, team or, you know, it's like being a, maybe uh, in the army, you know, when you're kind of in the Well, in but the pits also, together. you know, it's like, it, it is like being in the army, I think, because not the, quite the same anymore with journalists. But, um, you know, I know a lot of jazz musicians who like mostly to hang with other jazz musicians. Yeah. Because you, you speak not just the music, but you speak a different language and your experience is different. And you don't have to explain why you had right. a bad time at so and so, and they'll say, "Oh, but that's because of Joe. He does the lights, and he's an idiot." Right, you know, sort right, of, right. Uh, and actually, that's why, uh, you know, as a therapist now, I more more than half of my caseload is, you know, performing artists. Yeah, I noticed that on your actors, website. Yeah, your website. He has two websites, and we'll talk about why he stopped uh, performing. Which he did in like, your last performance, unless something you've done something after writing the book was 2017. That's right? right. He also writes in here, and this is the part of the self-effacing Bill Harrison. He writes about teaching. Most of my fellow students were half my age. The women were gorgeous. The men were handsome, and there I was, middle-aged, fat, a victim of creeping male pattern baldness. <laughs> uh, that's a hard that's a hard sentence to write too but uh, it's oh, just hon- true well but the honest there's an honesty to this book that elevates it above what it might have been uh, you could have easily written a book about this gig and that gig yeah and uh you that's know, not a book i would have I, wanted I, I, to read I'm meet you know here's here's a chapter i'm meeting tony bennett you know talking mostly about the gold star sardine bar or something right. uh what, talk to me a little more, a couple of minutes about uh, about teaching. You you must have gotten some joy and satisfaction. Oh out yeah, of it. yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, uh, so for a while, I taught at the American Conservatory of Music, and uh, I am still in touch with some of my students. And every once in a great while, I'll get an email out of the blue from somebody saying, "Oh." Uh, you you know you you taught me this and that and uh, I'm I'm so grateful that, you know sometimes it's somebody I don't even I have to say remember and then you get a note from someone saying hey you taught me you were a great teacher and I was just at a gig where I had to dress as a conehead and you go oh my god that was my experience that was my experience <laughs> hey man don't don't steal my gig <laughs> but you like you liked teaching I did like it yeah. I did enjoy it yeah I taught really basically till till I stopped playing I. I, I was getting so busy with my, um, you know, with my other life as a therapist, therapist. that uh, you know I stopped uh, playing and, and teaching right around what the same time. What drew you? Got to take a break in a minute. I'm going to ask you what drew you to therapy. Uh, I think I, you know I can't. I'm not a mind reader, but if you read this book, you could understand why. 
uh, and I'm not a patient, a client of Bill's, but why he would be a very, very good therapist. We'll be back uh, in a couple minutes. Uh, I'm talking off the air. I'm not swearing. I'm just giving uh, Bill Harrison a uh, email of a mutual friend. And again, I want to thank Neil Tesser and Bruce Dold for introducing me to Bill Harrison, who I have to say I probably saw in my days of nightclubs and theater and heard a number of times, but never, ever met. When did you decide to stop? Did I'm not sure you stopped playing at all, but you stopped playing professionally in 2017. I, I, it, it's yeah, in the book. Your last right. gig is somewhere in the book. Yeah, yeah, uh, in December why? of that year. Yeah. Why? A number of reasons. Uh, f- first of all, uh, I've been in the business for 40 years. Yep. And honestly, I was tired. I was having some back pain and... Uh, You'll recall that I broke my finger yes, uh, in indeed. 1981, and you had an it never appendicitis attack. Earlier, yeah, yeah, and uh, it was it had always been painful, but it was getting to be chronically painful, and there's some um, arthritis in there. Mm. So those reasons, and then uh, I really feel like the handwriting was on the wall in terms of the business. It's a, it's a youth oriented business, not yep. so much the theater necessarily. But uh, certainly, well, commercial music yeah. is a, is a is a young person's game, and I'd always been interested in psychology, and something I had in the back of my mind for a long time. And once I met my my wife, uh, who's a therapist and a talented poet named uh, Nina Corwin. That's right, Nina Corwin. Um, it seemed possible. And so you went back to school? Went back to school, got a master's degree in counseling at Northeastern. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was it difficult, even though it might have been painful at some time, is it difficult, you know, in the same way that I gave up handball, you know, 10 years ago? (laughs) uh, I don't miss it that much. But was it difficult to give up playing? Or do you still, every once in a while, take out the bass and touch it? I'll play for five minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, prompted by what? Why? I'll hear something, oh. or I'll I'll just I have a beautiful upright bass in my living room, and every once in a while I'll just be walking by and just go. Oh. You know what? I want to feel that for a minute. Wow! Just feel the the vibe wow. of yeah, it. Sure. You know? Um, the only thing missing being the applause. Well, Unless Nina applauds when you <laughs> no, play. No, she yeah. does not. No, I'll tell you, more than more than that, Rick, is the um, the feeling of playing with other people. That's where it really is. Yeah, you know, that, yeah. that, that groove, that feeling of, again, the camaraderie, sure. the ensemble, the co- uh, collaboration, all that kind of thing. That's what really used to get my juices going. And indeed, and indeed, as it is, I think, with newspaper people, too, the... The bitching and moaning that is attendant to to yes. to uh, discussing your life and your scene and bitching how little and moaning and is how, essential. Yes. How little you got paid for this gig yeah. and that gig. Right, right. Do you go out and listen to music anymore? I do. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Where do you go? Yeah, uh, I like classical music. So mm. we go to the symphony. We go hear some chamber music. We go to the Harris. Um, you don't live far from Jazz Showcase. I don't live far from the Jazz Showcase. Every once in a while we go there. Um, 
I have to say, I've gotten out of the habit of uh, going to jazz clubs. We just went and saw um, uh, my good old friend Jim Galloretto, who I'm mm. imagining yeah, you know. Yeah, sure. He uh, has a, a, a band that um, was doing some David Bowie music wow. at, That's the, right. at the That's city, right. uh, city Winery. That's right. So we went to that gig, and it was really great. So um, I hear. Yeah. I don't go out the way I used to either, yeah. <laughs> Bill. Yeah, after a day of work... You know, it's pretty intense. I kind of want to stay home and read a book. Yeah. In in deciding to, I, I know it. You know, the COVID gave you some extra time on your hands, and instead of learning to, to be idiotic and play golf or something, <laughs> you you devoted much of that time to writing the book. I did. Yeah. Did you know it would get published? Did you hope it would get published when you sat down? At the beginning of writing a book, it's never like, oh, I can't wait till I finish this and I'll get it published. Maybe James Patterson feels that way. Yeah. But what was your – it was an exercise for you, I think, in self-reflection. It, it was. Uh, I didn't really think about publishing, per se, mm-hmm. until, I don't know, maybe two years ago, something yeah. like that. I started – because I'd gotten some – some individual pieces uh, published in literary mags and this and that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, maybe I'll, when, I'll... Were you getting good feedback from writers you knew and you said you were you know, taking some classes, yeah, too? Yeah, I did. I got some, and I had some pretty astute, you know, like beta readers who would mm-hmm. say, well, this is good, then you might want to work on that, blah, blah, blah. But then, yeah, and then I just thought, well, I've got these pieces that have gotten published, and wouldn't it feel nice to have, have this be a book and yeah. have it published so i was very fortunate when i sent it out uh, i sent out i was i did a lot of research sent it out to just a few about a dozen publishers yeah and i actually got three publishers interested in the book that's great and i just i chose the one i thought was the best and this publishing house who i have to name check because they're so great it's a open books press in st louis they have been fantastic um, you know, they are a subsidiary of a bigger company that, um, I think the bigger company makes money, but I yeah. think this, this arm of their company is more or less, we're going to publish the books we love wow. and, uh, it's, it's been very collaborative and it's, it's really been great. Open books press. You have a good uh, editor there. Fantastic editor. How yeah, hard wonderful. was, how hard was the edit? Um, Collaborative, pretty pretty light because I had already, you know, it was in pretty good shape. Yeah, I had already worked pretty hard on it and had, you know, a developmental editor help me get it in shape. Uh, What was it like the day the the mail arrived and you saw it for the first time and there was was no one there to applaud as there was when you first played on the stage? No, that's right. No, what was was that like? It was well, yeah. I, I I think you know the feeling. But uh, it was it was amazing. My wife was there, and uh, you know, it was the two of us and the cat. You know, opening the box and seeing. What's all your the, cat's name? Our cat's name is Jazzy. Of course, of course, of course. yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. So opening the box and seeing all these copies of this book that's got my name on it, it was yeah. like a little surreal. I have to say, no question, it always yeah, is. Yeah. How. How empowering, because I really find, Bill, uh, you know, Neil Tesser's, uh, Neil Tesser's uh, stamp of approval aside, uh, you are a very talented writer. Oh, and this, this is you. a very, very well-written book and very, very honest and intimate. 
Uh, how empowering is that for you? Uh, I'm not saying you took a look at the book, showed your wife, and then rushed right back to the computer and started writing <laughs> book two. I am. I am working on Are book you? two. Oh, All yes, right. I what, am. What's yeah. the gist of book two? Well, book two is a lot more personal. It's not about <laughs> music. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I could read some, ladies and gentlemen, I could read some very personal moments in here. Yeah, uh, but, but you probably noticed I left... Almost oh, all the family stuff. Out, yes, indeed right? you did. You and, did. Uh, my, you my, did. My, uh, my, the next book is really about my relationship with my very colorful father. Interesting. Yeah, he was Interesting. quite, uh, quite is a guy. Is he no longer alive? He's no longer with us, yes. Okay. Well, in many ways, that makes it easier. It makes to it a lot easier. Both of lot. my parents are, are deceased. So. Okay, makes it makes it totally easy. You can, you I feel can, a lot of freedom. You can also yeah. make up stuff, because uh, who's going to complain? <laughs> uh, uh, have that's you done, against the rules, You know, though. 90% these days, it seems, uh, of publishing a book is getting out there to promote it. Have you done any kind of speaking at libraries because this this book is made for public appearances mm. i think well i have done I, I did a book release and then i've done some uh, like i said podcasts hope to do more radio where was uh, your book release party uh it was a, a place uh in um, lincoln square called the bookseller oh what a great yeah, you can drink there it's the book c-e-l-l-a-r that's, that's it's a right. great bookstore right. and i have a couple others i've been trying to you know get some readings at but uh you know they they're busy they're busy selling books it's hard so, no it is yeah, it it's is, hard it and, is. and it's just me you know yeah so uh, i well, don't have you, a, know, it, you know one thing i mean you could you know there's a there's some kind of book show here with playing cuts of your favorite uh, performers. I mean, that's not a bad idea either, I yeah, think. Yeah. Uh, because you have had a, a, a incredibly active and varied life in jazz. Uh, and you know so many performers still around town. That's just because I'm old. Well, same here, man. Same here. <laughs> you know, that's why I say, oh, do you know Libby York, who's going to be on at after the news at 6 o'clock? Oh, sure, I know Libby. You know Josie Falba? Oh, my God, Josie's yeah, the greatest. Yeah. It's a great community. And I, knowing, knowing just as an outsider, so many people in that community for such a long time, it is amazing that we never met before. It I is, find yeah. it stunning. And Neil Tesser, how could you not introduce us? Uh, Neil and I, Neil's one of the, the, the premier, I think, jazz critic uh, around. Definitely. He doesn't yeah. play anything. He played, he play some he kind plays of instrument. the C melody saxophone. Really? I've he, never heard he, him play. Neither have I, which is very interesting. He must not be very good. Well, I... Uh, I'm Neil. If you're listening, I, I'm, I'm being better very be, quiet right now. You better be listening. You better be listening. <laughs> uh, Bill, it's really a pleasure to meet you. I'm an admirer of your wife too, because you, oh. you mentioned her. I admire her poetry. Thank you. And uh, that's another tough world, poetry world. Yes, where there are tens of dollars to be made. Yeah, if that, yeah. if that. Right. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you, ladies and gentlemen. Again, uh, the best website, I think. Unless you're in need of therapy, but even if you're in need of therapy, you can go. You can get there by going to BillHarrisonMusic.com, or the book is available anywhere books are sold. Go to a bookstore. That's my advice. Yes, please. Making the Low Notes, A Life in Music by Bill Harrison. Bill, it's a pleasure to know you. It's been an honor. Thank you. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. I wouldn't go that far.